Amen. You can be seated. What a blessing it is to worship together. And a great, great blessing. You know, we really do the dig every, every week. Uh, that's what we're about. We're digging for the treasure. So are you ready to do a little treasure digging? Okay. We are in the book of Nehemiah. And uh, Nehemiah is all about rebuilding. We've been talking for weeks about rebuilding uh, after this devastating destruction that happened to Jerusalem. Uh, and in Nehemiah last week, we saw that the walls and the gates were finally finished. That was a big deal. Um, there had been opposition. Uh, there had been all kinds of distraction from every direction. Uh, last week, we learned about the sneaky plots and the sticky traps that were set and that came against Nehemiah and those who were uh, endeavoring to rebuild the walls and the gates. The enemy has those sneaky ways, the slander trap, the frenemy trap, the insider trap. And now, finally, we saw they're finished. It's an amazing moment. Jerusalem is on its way back. It's not back yet. Uh, It's on its way back. I mean, the towns and the villages have been settled and resettled. And the temple had been rebuilt. It wasn't near what it used to be. I mean, it, it was really, for many, kind of disappointing when they first saw it. It was not the grand temple of Solomon. We call it the second temple, but it begins a a next uh, part of the history. Uh, Walls and gates were finished. You have to have walls and gates to have a city, but something was still missing. And that's what we're going to dig into today. We're in Nehemiah chapter 7, beginning verse 1. You'll find that on page 402 of the Bible that is out here. If you do not own a Bible... Please take that Bible home with you. Put your name in it, begin to study it, have that Bible in your home and in your hand. So Nehemiah 7, uh, beginning verse 1, and let's give our whole attention as God speaks. Now, when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed... I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem. For he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at first. And I found written in it, these were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his town. Now let's stand and let's pray. God, we want to find the treasure. 
We want to find the treasure you have for each one of us in this word of God. We want to apply it. We want to know what you have to say. So speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. If you were reading through the Bible, and I know I've talked to a lot of people that are doing a read through the Bible this year. Uh, when you come to chapter 7, uh, you're going to hit a listing of genealogy. And if you're like me, that really bogs me down. Amen? Do I get an amen on that? Yeah. Uh, It it can really kind of uh, hold you up there and you're not sure what to do. It seems it's important. It's in the Word. And you might say, well, my pastor, Pastor Jeff, he says, read those names confidently. And I'll just have to say, I I don't think I have that much confidence. I I chose not to read the whole genealogy. Someone say, praise God. (laughs) Yeah. And I would have to say that just as uh, one can get lost in the weeds when you're in a a golf match, uh, we can get lost in the begats in some sections of the Bible. We don't want to miss that that's important. Those names are there for a reason. All of God's word is important. But we don't want to miss the big picture of what was going on. The walls were complete. But Jerusalem was still not functioning as a city. It had been one of the grandest cities in the whole world. Kings and queens had come to visit this city during the time of David and and Solomon. I mean, it was just an incredible place. And so it had been this grand place. Uh, They now had reconstructed a good deal of it. The construction of the walls in 52 days was nothing short of stunning. I've talked to construction people who look at the walls and they go, I I would not take that contract. (laughs) I would not try to build that even with heavy equipment and all all the things you would want. The gates were complete. The doors had been set. It had been 93 years since Jerusalem began to be restored. That's a long time. This was a big, long project that had been going on. But people mostly had just you know, settled in the cities around or the villages around. And then they came and they went. They, they came to worship and they went away. There was nothing going on in the city. There was no business. There hadn't been any commerce. There hadn't been any, any rebuilding inside the city. There wasn't any safety in the city. And now there was. We have these walls and these gates. But the last ingredient was vitally important. There were no people. How do you get the people? You know, if you went around to some of the, of the great cities and you said uh, to people, why do you love your city? They might say, well, I love my sports team. Well, I did until they moved to some other city. Uh, or, or, or I love the, you know, the theater or the arts or something like that. But ultimately, they'll say, I love my city because of the people. Well, that's why I don't move. I love my city because of the people. Uh, people make things complete. Some homes have been completed, but just those that were in the wall that, that were part of the protection, and they were for added security that they were built there. But no houses have been rebuilt. We learn in verse 4, there weren't any houses being built. It was still a lot of debris inside the walls. Well, what is that? I remember uh, years ago when we moved to Jacksonville, and our daughter Tiffany was in the sixth grade. She was in a magnet school They placed it in a particular place as a draw, and we had to drive through. I drove her every day, and we went through this part of the city that was boarded up. It had graffiti everywhere. It had everything but tumbleweeds uh, to make it look like a desert uh, or deserted place, a ghost town. And so uh, that's what Jerusalem still looked like, most of it. It was a ghost town. And we realized that reconstruction and renovation is not the same as restoration, 
Restoration is where life comes back in. So where do you start restoring a grand city? How do you, how do you draw the people back into a place? And we're going to see that in this scripture. It's really quite amazing. Uh, you know, there's this idea sometimes if we build it, they will come. It might work in a movie about a baseball field, but, uh, but it's a little bit more than that. Governor Nehemiah did five things. He's now been appointed to be the governor. Uh, he did five things to draw people in and to build community. And some were just very practical. I mean, you, you would see, well, you had to do that. But there was a lot more going on here. New assignments were made. Jobs were handed out. New policies were implemented. Uh, but this was more than just some organizational strategy. He really gives us five keys to vital restoration. And they could be applied in almost any area of life. Uh, they can be applied, of course, to the life, uh, restoring the life of a city, but also to restoring life in a church. Sometimes we do church revitalization, restoring life to a family, restoring life to a home. All of these can be applied in this way. So I want to bring those to you. The first thing that Nehemiah did was he created some filters. Nehemiah appointed, um, he appointed gatekeepers in verse 1. That's the very first thing that he did. Because gates are only as good as the gatekeepers. So you've got a gate, so what? <laughs> if I can just open the gate and go through it, it, it's no big deal. You have to have a gatekeeper. And if the gatekeeper is going to be one that falls asleep or one who goes off the job, then the gate is no good. There's no, there's no uh, control over the access that comes in. Gates are the access points, and, and the gatekeepers uh, keep watch there. And so for us, and I've told you this several times in this study, what are you letting in? The gates are really important. What are you engaging? What are you letting in from the world? How are you engaging the world? You know, a lot of us would realize that in business, few things are more important than a good receptionist. Um, I don't know if that picture is familiar to you. It, it wasn't to me. This is a woman who was called the gatekeeper. Her name was Marguerite Missy Lahand, and she was the personal secretary to Franklin Delano Roosevelt. So she's the one who sat outside the Oval Office, and if she didn't let you in, you didn't get in. And some had even referred to her as the de facto chief of staff. That's a pretty serious look. I mean, I think even the Secret Service would not want to challenge her. But she was the gatekeeper. And, and many of us know that that's important. I know in church life it's important, but it's different. We have, an, we have had excellent receptionists in our church office. It's really important to filter and to screen. Because there's a lot of people that come and they want to, can I see the pastor? Can I see the pastor? Well, can you tell me what it's about? Because it's important to respond because sometimes it's very important. Something critical has happened and they need to see a pastor. It's different than in a lot of businesses. But this filtering is important. In church history, the filters are called doctrine and, dro and doctrinal statements. And that's sometimes dominated the dialogue of uh, church history. Uh, these, these confessions and catechisms and, and uh, all that sort of thing. And sometimes people get real tired of that and they say, you, you know, I don't want any doctrine and uh, only God. And I'll say, you just made a statement of doctrine. You just made a doctrinal statement when you said that. That's your doctrine. And, and in fact, it's not really a very good one because you're saying, I want to just experience what I experience and call that God. 
that's not very good doctrine because we have something called Word of God. And he's revealed himself in the Word of God. So these statements of faith really are important because they are filters that help us. A doctrinal statement of faith, it's not something to be worshipped, but it does define the access at the gate. It's a filter. It determines what we're going to preach, what we're going to teach, what what books we're going to look at. And so if someone says, I want to teach a Sunday school class on reincarnation, we say, well, that's not biblical. So no, you cannot teach that topic, okay? That's the way these filters work. And the same things, you know, need to be in, in all of our lives, the way that we f- filter things. If you love your doctrine, though, more than you love God and people, you're going to miss what God has. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, that's a little bit narrow. And I would say, well, take it up with Jesus, because that's who said it. He said, love the Lord your God. You can even say it with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second, love your neighbor as yourself. And everything else hangs from that. All of the doctrine needs to come from that. You know, in our church, the strength of our affiliation with the Evangelical Free Church is our statement of faith. I hope that you will read it. It's amazing. It's so simple. As we were founding the church 28 years ago, um, we were drawn to this because it's gospel-focused. It's non-divisive. It's a statement of faith that is Bible-centered, Christ-centered, Spirit-centered, and we don't get lost in the weeds. We don't split over a lot of the little things that people disagree about. So people will come in and say, well, can you tell me, is this word in your statement of faith? No, because people disagree about that. We're focused on God. There is a God. He's revealed himself in the Bible. He brought to us a Savior who is Christ. And we must receive that salvation by faith. Those are the things that are the points that we have, uh, 10 points in our statement of faith. And that's our filter as a church. But in our families, we need to have filters as well. I mean, we need to ask the question, what are the media influences and the friends and the activities and the experiences that we allow to enter and influence our family? I remember when our kids were growing up, every once in a while I'd get this uh, statement that was something like, Dad, everybody's going to see that movie. You ever hear that? Yeah, yeah. And I would say, not everybody. And, and they would say, oh, you, how, how would you even know? Everybody's seen that movie. I said, I can absolutely assure you, not everybody is seeing that movie. How do you know that? Because you're not seeing that movie. <laughs> so everybody is not seeing that movie. we got to have some filters. The second thing Nehemiah did was he set the atmosphere. The second thing that he did was he appointed singers. Isn't that amazing? I mean, our worship team should be really honored in that. You know, there's gatekeepers at the door, but then the worship team was the very next thing uh, that he appointed, that he got going, that he got set up. Singers, they set the atmosphere of praise and thanksgiving. It's so critically important. It's one of the first matters that Nehemiah dealt with. Now, here's the thing we realize as we live this kind of difficult life It's that we cannot change life circumstances many times, but we can change the atmosphere. We can change the atmosphere that's surrounding us and what's going on. And when we change the atmosphere, a great deal begins to change in the heavenly realm and in the direction of the kingdom. That's why worship, praise, and thanksgiving are so important. 
Setting an atmosphere of praise and thanksgiving, it's one of the most powerful things uh, that leads to a genuine restoration among people. And this is not just the power of positive thinking. This is more like the brokerage of blessing in your life. Um, And and we need to make sure that we take care of that uh, and, and attend to that. You know, in my car, I've got my presets on my radio. I listen to the radio and, you know, I like to listen to news, so I've got a preset for news. Okay, I'll be honest with you. I've got four presets for news. Um, but every, I don't know if this happens to you, but every once in a while I'm just on overload, news overload, and I just go, I, I got to shut that stuff off. So I have Christian music setting. And for me, it's just the one that I, that I can always be sure will come in pretty clear. I turn, I turn on the Z, and it always changes the atmosphere. Because... Why am I listening to that same old news cycle over and over and over again? I need, I need to change. And I, I know that around the house, in so many different ways, we can set the atmosphere and things begin to change. Honestly, uh, we seek to do that in our home, but we weren't raised that way. Uh, both of us uh, were raised going to church. And in my family, going to church was like the 13 most difficult minutes of the week. Um, you know what I'm saying? I mean, there's like between three and five kids in the back of the car and we're jammed in there and, it, and we're late. So dad's speeding and we're going down via Tuscany and it's just curvy. And mom has this toxic church perfume on. <laughs> I mean, it, to get there. And I love my mother. You know, she's with the Lord, but it was just very, very difficult. So, you know, church and we didn't have Christian music running and all that sort of thing. Um, but we learned when we moved to Georgia, uh, we, we came in contact in our church with Christian families that we began to sort of model after. And I remember one, one family, uh, the Kegels, they were five years older than us. They had no kids. They were praying desperately for kids. And Bob had played for the University of Georgia, and I forgave him for that, you know. Uh, but, and, and then there was one that was 10 years older, Robin and Penny Burris. And they had two little kids and then one that was 20 years older. And they had three children moving into the teen years. And remember, each of these, I just so gained from them what I wanted our family to be like and to look like. And so that's sort of the value of community and being in community. And I, I remember one day when I, I was visiting with the, the Burrises and he was out in his truck with his two little girls. I don't know how old they were. They were in, going to school like six and eight years old. And he was there, and I saw him just with his hands on him, praying over his girls. And it so impacted me, so impressed me, that there's a way to set an atmosphere in your family that makes all the difference in the world. And what about church? You know, our praise team, it's the second thing that he appointed, as I said. And so the praise and the worship is so very important. You know, I thought about this song that we often sing, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Wow. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. You know, people are talking a lot about these revivals that are happening in Wilmore, Kentucky, and a couple of other places. And what we're really seeing is young people who have said, we're going to change the atmosphere. The one thing we can do. We can change the atmosphere, in pra- and they're doing it with praise. They're doing it with worship, and then out of that comes transformation and witness and testimony. The third thing Nehemiah did was he appointed those to serve according to their gifts. 
according to what they needed to be doing. The, the Levites, he appointed to attend to the work of the Lord in the temple. And that was what they were born to do. It was part of their family. Uh, Proverbs eighteen sixteen says, A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before the great men. That's a powerful verse because it says your gift is your place at the table. Your gift is, is your reservation to, to be in, involved. So sometimes people say, I feel disconnected. You need to offer your gift and then step up to the table, to your place at the table. We all have gifts for serving within God's house. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. We, we must not hold back our gift. Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of, the, of God, which is in you. We, we can't become focused on, on you know, whether you know, we're getting appreciation or something like that. We need to fan into flame the gift that he has put in us. And we can fall out of the habit of gathering uh, to learn, uh, to worship, to give, and to serve. Um, Hebrews 10.25 says, Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Why don't we read that out loud together? Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The fourth thing Nehemiah did was he appointed guards. Uh, and they, they were different from the gatekeepers. They were up on the walls. Uh, their purpose uh, w- from among the inhabitants was to keep watch, some at their own houses, uh, at their own homes. But they were the ones who would sound the alarm. They kept an eye out for the things, the threats that were coming from far away. You know, sometimes uh, people will say, don't be so guarded. The Bible actually teaches us to be on guard, at least in certain areas. 1 Corinthians 16 says, be on guard, stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage, be strong. I, I got curious about it. Aren't you glad you have a curious pastor? Okay. And I was kind of surprised. I found immediately seven different things that we are called to guard in the Bible. Guard your heart. It is the wellspring of life. Guard your instruction, the things that you have been taught. Guard his teachings, his teachings that are within you. Guard your steps, your walk, your daily path, your behavior. Guard yourself in your spirit. Do not break faith with your spouse. Guard your marriage is what that's about in Malachi 2. Guard against the yeast of hypocrisy. It spreads so easily, wearing a religious mask. And guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Uh, The gospel is entrusted to you, and it's empowered by the Spirit. The fifth thing that Nehemiah established uh, uh, was leaders and practices. Uh, So he he does this, uh, he sets up a governmental structure. He was made um, governor over Judah, which is the whole area. And so uh, he put in place uh, his brother, Hanani, was put in charge of Jerusalem. He's really made mayor of Jerusalem, along with another guy, Hananiah, who had been in charge of what they called the castle, the fortress on the northwest corner of of the city, kind of the protective place. You know, maybe he was kind of like the police commissioner or something like that. But he put a government in place, 
And then he put in in place policies for safety. Um, The city's gates were, were to be open only a few hours a day. And guards were to stay on duty. Once they shut and barred it, they were to be kept shut. And some guards were appointed uh, to their homes and to their houses. So we see these structures and these safety uh, situations put into place. Uh, Some guards were, were appointed actually to their homes because they knew they would protect them the very best. So these are the vital things that, that we need to, to take a look at. Gate, gatekeepers, singers, Levites, guards, and leaders. Now, we can apply that in a lot of different ways. We all need filters to, to watch and to protect our mind and our spirit. Singers. You say, well, I'm not a singer. You don't have to be a singer. You could probably groan if you'll try, okay? <laughs> but we need to bring music. I talk to people and they say, I just have to have, I needed to get some music in because that will change the atmosphere and it will lift your spirit. And it doesn't matter the style. It's whatever, whatever um, faith-based music will lift your spirit, change the atmosphere. We need a place to serve and a place to give, carry and lift. Uh, and, and we need uh, to have a view of the threats that may come against us and be on guard. And then we need to have, Respect our leaders and policy. Sometimes people are upset that we have certain rules in place. Well, they're, especially with the teenagers, it's for safety. We have safety concerns. So those are my questions in terms of life application. How are you filtering? How are you setting the atmosphere? How are you serving within the church? How are you keeping watch? How are you honoring leaders? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for the marvelous gift of of Jesus. I thank you for the great, great treasure of salvation. And Lord, as we reflect on that, we we realize that we are drawn to the way of remembrance that you've given us, that you've, you've given us a way that we can tangibly put our focus upon, upon how expensive it was for our salvation God, we thank you for that. We pray that you would guide us now uh, as we share in Jesus' name. Amen. And in the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me.
Father God, we thank you that you make yourself known to us in the breaking of bread and the sharing of the cup. We rejoice in the body of Christ. We rejoice knowing that you have given us a place at the table, a place to engage, a place to be a part. And God, we pray that you will build strength into your body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.